Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people and the labor movement to the Madison area and surrounding communities. I'm Keith Steffen, a member of the National Association of Letter Carriers. Thank you to all our listeners. Your support helps make Labor Radio and all the great programming on WORT possible. Hi, and I'm Sandy Park, a retiree from American Federation of Teachers and AFSCME. Today we take a look at the Supreme Court decision that will undermine union power, get an update on the strike at True Stage, which is formerly known as CUNY Mutual, check in on the new leadership in the TAA, and share the latest U.S. jobs report and much more. And if you like what you hear, please consider becoming a sustaining supporter of WORT and Labor Radio. In accordance with their plans for a limited unfair labor practice strike, members of OPEIU Local 39 returned to work Monday at True Stage, formerly known as CUNY Mutual. Just after the workers returned to work, the company canceled bargaining sessions planned for this week. Labor radio reporter Abigail Levins has the details on what comes next for the union. After several rounds of negotiations with True Stage, the union voted to return to work on Friday. They agreed that there had been progress on contract agreements according to a release from OPEIU Local 39. They did vote 92% to return to the strike line if True Stage will not continue to negotiate. At the time of the strike being suspended, the union planned to meet with the True Stage for two more bargaining sessions this past week. However, the Cap Times reported Thursday that True Stage canceled those bargaining sessions because union bargaining members had testified about their experience. The union did not say if this was grounds for a return to the strike line. The union had filed nine unfair labor practice charges against True Stage, arguing that there had been months of illegal and unfair treatment. However, union members felt that the company had made significant steps in agreeing to key items, including job security and remote work flexibility. Jovica said in an interview with Labor Radio in December that there were five issues on which they were negotiating. First, the company had withheld pension plans for retirees. Second, they needed wage increases to account for inflation. Third, they demanded job security, specifically protection from being fired due to outsourcing. Fourth, they asked for better health care plans. And finally, they wanted the ability to do remote work. In the, in the announcement about suspending the strike, the union said they had reached agreements on two of those items, job security and remote work flexibility. They're waiting for future negotiations for the remaining issues. The company had refused to bargain for four months. And if they stall negotiations again, the union promises that they will not hesitate to go on strike again. This comes as current CEO Robert Trunzo announces retirement this week. The True Stage Workers Union tweeted Thursday that they are excited to work with the new CEO, Terrence Williams, and to build a, quote, positive and productive relationship, end quote. Reporting for Labor Radio, I'm Abigail Levins. Labor Radio talked to a key IBEW 2304 negotiator about the latest in their talks with Madison Gas and Electric. Nate Rasmussen is the IBEW Local 2304 President and Business Manager, as well as a primary negotiator in the negotiations with employer MG&E. They have been in negotiations since mid-March of this year. 
How are the negotiations going so far? It's going slowly. The parties are quite a ways apart on most of the major issues like wages and retirement. What will help move the needle, do you think? It's going to take some collective action from our membership, I believe, and potentially some pressure from the community. What mg e proposed to us for wages doesn't get us back to the gap that we've created with the inflation over the last few years, nor is it even keeping up with current inflation. Rasmussen indicated that in addition to dragging their feet on wage increase proposals, MG&E management has repeatedly been proposing to strip the union of their rights to bargain health insurance, including benefits and premiums. What can community members do to support you? I'm not sure that the community knows. MG&E rates extremely high in gas and electric reliability almost every year. In our category nationwide, we are in the top three almost always and oftentimes number one in electric reliability. If you see someone out in their white and green truck and if it's safe to talk to them, just let them know that you support us and thank us for the work that they do. That was Nate Rasmussen of IBEW. This is Janine Ramsey reporting for Labor Radio. In a blow to unions, the Supreme Court ruled that a company can pursue strike damage claims. Frank Emsbach has the story. Well, on June 1st, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that a company can sue a union for damages. The company claimed that when the union walked off the job, it was liable for for intentional damage to its product, and in this case, wet concrete in the company's trucks. The 8-1 decision written by Justice Amy Conan Barrett means the company Glacier Northwesting can pursue lawsuits against the union in state court over an August 2017 strike in which drivers walked off the job leaving wet concrete in their trucks. The company claims the union is liable for what it says was the intentional damage to the product. Earlier today, Labor Radio spoke with Chelsea Davidson of the Policy Council of Take Back the Court Today. We asked Chelsea to describe the decision. The decision in Glacier Northwest just shows that the Supreme Court is a direct threat to the labor movement and to workers' rights. Uh, This decision is first and foremost an attack on the right to strike and also on the National Labor Relations Board, which was created as part of the New Deal to protect workers and handle strike-related disputes. In this case, the court ruled that cement truck drivers committed intentional destruction of property simply by going on strike with wet cement in their trucks, even though they notified supervisors of the situation and they took precautions to prevent the cement from hardening. The court's decision leaves those workers vulnerable to state court lawsuits that could bankrupt them. And it essentially puts any worker who handles perishable goods at risk of being sued if they go on strike. This is just the latest in a pattern of attacks on workers and the right to strike from the Supreme Court. Who was involved in this dispute? This case pitted a private cement corporation against a local chapter of the Teamsters. But of course, the corporate interests represented here were much broader. Uh, For example, the court received an uh, amicus brief from special interests like the Chamber of Commerce on the side of the concrete company, while many, many unions filed in support of the Teamsters. And the ruling will have implications for workers in a wide range of industries, especially those who work with perishable goods, agricultural and grocery workers, 
for just a few examples. Would this have an effect on the potential strike of the Teamsters and United Parcel Service at the end of, uh, I guess, July or August? The present decision focuses largely on perishable goods. Um, but of course, a blow to unions in any situation is a blow to unions everywhere. So um, eroding that right to strike in any way, shape or form can make more and more unions liable to suits. So in terms of the implications for labor, if we understand you, the implications are that the right to strike is there, but the costs will be borne by the union. In other words, the purpose of the strike is to obviously cause economic difficulties for the company. Doesn't this ruling turn that around? That's absolutely correct. Um, one of the reasons that the right to strike is so powerful is because it it tries to even out some of those disparities in power between corporations and workers by causing economic harm. Um, as we talked about a bit, this increases the potential for liability for workers and unions for strikes. And also bringing a case before the National Labor Relations Board is far less expensive than going through a full litigation process in state court. So the overall effect is that this will enable companies to sue more unions and more workers in state courts in an attempt to chill the right to strike by increasing those expenses. And it could impose judgment costs on unions and workers. It also undermines federal law and the authority of the National Labor Relations Board, uh, which was created precisely to regularize labor law and decisions across the country rather than leaving workers at the mercy of the political whims of whatever state they happen to be in or where they can be sued in. What are the next steps for working people in organized labor? Well, of course, organized labor needs to keep doing what they've always been doing. They need to recruit workers. They need to continue exercising their fundamental right to strike. And they will need to continue fighting these legal and political battles. But the only surefire solution is to restore balance and integrity into the Supreme Court by adding new justices. Uh, these types of attacks on our freedoms and values are simply not going to stop. Uh, Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell worked in tandem to steal the Supreme Court for purposes of implementing a deeply unpopular right-wing policy agenda against the will of voters. And court expansion is the only way to reverse the theft and restore the court's credibility and independence. So the good news is that we have momentum behind this idea. When we first started talking about court expansion around 2018, it was barely on the radar. But today, the Judiciary Act to add four justices has been introduced in Congress and has more than 60 co-sponsors. We also have support from groups like SEIU, Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union, and the Working Families Party. But we need to keep that momentum going. So more unions should be supporting expansion, and workers can organize to move them in that direction so that the Supreme Court does not continue to erode labor rights and the importance of unions in our democratic fabric. Is this case motivated or part of a organized effort to put in many cases like this in different jurisdictions to undercut the right to strike? I think it absolutely is. The Roberts Court has signaled an open season on workers' rights, and big business is welcoming that invitation. We have over 10 years of a nearly unbroken line of anti-worker and anti-union decisions by this court. And we have data to show that this is the most pro-business court we have ever seen. In 2020 alone, the court sided with big business 83% of the time in relevant cases. In, in another recent case, just a few years ago, Cedarport 
point nursery versus a seed. Um, that gave us an example of how corporations are using the court to attack even the most marginalized workers. When the court issued a decision that basically prevents agricultural unions from recruiting agricultural workers who are some of the most vulnerable, uh, these cases are definitely part of a nearly unbroken pattern of the court siding with business over workers, over unions, and over families since 2013. And they are only going to engage in more attacks. Well, thank you very much, Chelsea Davidson from the Policy Council of Take Back the Court Today. I am Frank Emsbach for Madison Labor Radio. manufacturing jobs at legacy companies in both urban and rural Wisconsin. Urban and rural workers in Wisconsin have more in common than they may realize. Last week we reported about the announced closing of the Masterlock plant in the heart of Milwaukee, a decision that will impact hundreds of people in the city. Masterlock workers are UAW Local 469 members, and they are organizing with city and state leaders to oppose the closure. This week, the Aarons Company of Rural Brilliance abruptly announced the layoff of all of their second, third shift, and weekend workers at the facility, impacting around 250 people. A brief statement from the company to the local newspapers said that they, quote, are rebalancing our manufacturing workforce across our different locations and shifts to maximize production output, end quote. The company said that the first shift production would be expanding, and they suggested that the laid-off workers could apply for those 100 jobs. The family-run company, started in 1933, specializes in outdoor power equipment. Workers at Aaron's Co., the primary employer in the small town of Brillian, are not unionized. Brilliant Mayor Mike Smith is creating a workforce development plan to assist impacted workers in finding jobs. Though the company said that there are no other planned changes, questions remain. Aaron's Co. opened a facility in Fayetteville, Tennessee last year and held a three-day hiring event there in April of this year to fill 350 jobs. New executive leadership positions were created and filled in the last seven years at the company headquarters in Brilliant. Does this corporate restructuring point to other plans that the company is not forthright about? Eliminating shifts to maximize production output, as the Aaron Co. official statement says, does not seem to make sense. This is Janine Ramsey reporting for Labor Radio. UW-Madison's Graduate Student Union has two new co-presidents. Craig Jabosky of Labor Radio had a chance to talk with them. A couple of weeks ago, organized labor held a sip-in at the State Street Starbucks store in support of workers organizing there. Attending in solidarity were the newly elected co-presidents of the Teaching Assistance Association, the TAA, AFT Local 3220, UW-Madison's Graduate Assistant Union. They are Maddie Topf and Nina Den. Labor Radio had a chance to speak briefly to the newly elected leaders, then describe the TAA election process. 
They were open for two weeks. We had a like a candidate forum, and we wrote candidate statements, and then we had an election of our general membership. So that's kind of how the process works. Cup says that she and Dan will hit the ground running. Starting in the summer, we are working together toward having a campaign to really work towards better working conditions for graduate students. So we will be speaking to graduate students, trying to get them involved with the union, trying to hear what they need from their workplace. So hopefully you'll see us around campus and talking to people. Top listed some of the leading concerns of the TAA. Currently, we have a letter circulating demanding paid family leave and paid medical leave for 12 weeks for grad students because we don't have any paid leave policy right now. Another thing is just cost of living. Stipends aren't keeping up with cost of living. Another is that we're required to pay these fees back to the university every semester. And these fees can total like almost $2,000 per year. Yeah, this is really a burden on people. The issue of the added fees has been an ongoing concern and is hitting the graduate workers even harder now, Den explained. There's been some attempts before by the TAA. Those haven't really resulted in any substantial change. And unfortunately, they've just gone up over the past years. So they're actually increased as compared to last year. It's a big issue for a lot of students. So we're hoping to you know, prioritize that. As well as just cost of living adjustments in general, I think are really important too. Because even without the fees, we don't get paid enough, honestly. Den said that the university even making the existence of these added fees clearer to incoming students would be an improvement over the current situation. Another frustration for folks is that the university doesn't always advertise those fees up front to incoming students. So it can come as a surprise to students when they arrive and they realize that most of their first paycheck goes to paying those fees. So within our programs, we've been pushing them to kind of make that more clear for folks who are thinking about joining these programs, that this is a cost that you have to pay on a semester basis. Those were Maddie Topf and Nina Den, the new co-presidents of the TAA, AFT, Local 3220. They said that listeners can sign on to the TAA's family leave letter by going to the TAA account on Twitter by searching for TAA Madison and clicking on the account's pinned tweet. There's also a QR code leading to the family leave letter on the TAA Madison Instagram page. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jaboski. Employment is increasing according to employment data for May. The Bureau of Labor Statistics May 2023 jobs report revealed growth in the economy. Assistant Secretary of Labor for Public Affairs Julie McLean Downey issued the following statement on the employment situation. Quote, Today, the Bureau of Labor Statistics reported that the American economy added 339,000 jobs in the month of May, further confirmation that the economy continues its steady growth and working families are benefiting from the economic policies of this administration. The 3.7% unemployment rate in May remained within a low, narrow range that has remained consistent for more than a year." End quote. This is the longest period of unemployment below 4% since the 1960s. Elisa Gould, economist at the Economic Policy Institute, also commented on the jobs report for May. She described the labor market as strong overall with some notable divergence. Payroll data is solid with a healthy increase in the number of jobs and nominal wage growth continues to decelerate. 
However, household data is mixed with a rise in unemployment and a drop in employment. The report shows notable employment gains in education and health services, professional and business services, government, and leisure and hospitality. Gains in both leisure and hospitality and government employment are particularly welcome news as they remain the sectors with the largest job shortfalls since before the pandemic. Those deficits are steadily shrinking month after month. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Carol Weidel. The Teamsters and UPS are in negotiations over their massive national contract. Greg Jaboski reports on what's happening as of today. A national strike authorization vote by Teamsters UPS workers began Wednesday and runs through Thursday of next week. The National Office of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters had announced a nationwide strike authorization vote as the July 31st end of its current contract with parcel carrier giant UPS approaches. A notice on the National Teamsters Facebook page this afternoon reads, quote, Vote yes to give our UPS Teamsters National Negotiating Committee even more leverage at the bargaining table. Local unions are posting the dates, times, and locations of strike authorization votes. Voting is being conducted either at your local union hall, a hotel, or another location near your UPS facility. A yes for strike authorization makes it clear to UPS that Teamsters are united and ready to strike if the company fails to agree on our terms for a strong contract, unquote. 340,000 UPS workers are affected by the contract. To give an idea of the scale of this number, it is greater than the populations of Madison, Sun Prairie, Middleton, and Monona combined. If these UPS workers walk out, it will be by far the biggest strike in the United States in the 21st century. The result of the strike authorization vote is scheduled to be announced next week, June 16th. In Wisconsin, UPS workers are represented statewide by Teamsters Local 344. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jaboski. Now we hear from a worker at Journey, Journey, Journey Mental Health on why she's a union member. Hi, I'm Michelle Miller. I'm a case manager at Journey Mental Health Center. I'm a part of AFSME and I'm the union president of my local. And I am part of a union because I think it's very important for clinicians providing mental health care to be well taken care of by their employers so that they can stay and provide quality care to the consumers. For the first time, a coffee shop in Madison has a union contract. Workers of Colectivo Coffee voted for their contract with Colectivo Coffee Roasters. Colectivo Coffee workers in the Milwaukee-Madison markets are represented by Local 494, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, IBEW. They voted to accept and ratify their first contract with more than 95% of voters in favor of acceptance. And now for some announcements. 
The South Central Federation of Labor, or SCUFFLE, awards $4,000 scholarships by lottery drawing from amongst the eligible applicants in 11 counties. Applicants must be the children of a SCUFFLE union member. The application deadline is Friday, June 23, 2023. The scholarship committee will conduct a lottery drawing of the qualified applicants by July 10, 2023. In addition, the members or children of members who live or work in Dodge County, they are offering two additional $500 scholarships. Applicants should fill out the online application at scuffle.org. Juneteenth is dedicated to the celebration of the lived experiences and accomplishments of black Americans historically and presently here in Madison and across the nation. It's a unique opportunity to experience the rich history of black Americans through various forms of entertainment, lectures, performances, exhibits, visual presentations, food, music, and other activities. This year's event host, Kujichakalia Madison Center for Self-Determination, will be officially commemorating the 158th year of the Juneteenth Day celebration in the United States on Saturday, June 17th at Penn Park on Madison's south side. The theme will be Juneteenth 2023, Black Resilience, Collective Liberation and Transformation. Organizers are looking for volunteers for the event in many different capacities. The Wisconsin Coalition to Save Civil Service will host a birthday party for the Wisconsin Civil Service System a week from tomorrow, 12 noon, Saturday, June 17th, outside the Capitol in Madison. It will be a short gathering with a few remarks about the need for a stronger civil service system with music and birthday cake. The Wisconsin Coalition to Save Civil Service is made up of public sector unions and good government groups, including AFSCME Council 32, the American Federation of Teachers Wisconsin, the South Central Federation of Labor, the Association of Career Employees, the Wisconsin Professional Employees Council, the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign, and the NAACP. That's a week from tomorrow, 12 noon, Saturday, June 17th, outside the Capitol. for listening to Madison Labor Radio. I'm Sandy Park. Thanks to editor Frank Emspack, assistant Robin G, reporters Greg Jaboski, Sean Hagerup, Anna Hom, Janine Ramsey, Abigail Levins, Carol Weidel, and damage control specialist Joanne Powers. Special thanks also to my co-reader, Keith Steffen, who is our reader coordinator, and web poster Anya Lee, and to all of our readers and to the members of IBEW Local 2304 WORT Staff Collective. And I'm Keith Steffen. We also like to thank all of the generous contributors to Labor Radio and WORT. Please stay tuned for the Blues Cruise with Dave Watts and the Professor Bill Clark.